Today we are going to continue in 1 Thessalonians 3, 6 through 10. We're going to talk about encouragement from steadfastness. Let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer before we begin. Lord, we ask that you would take your word today, Father, and illuminate it to us. Father, we pray that you would enable the hearers of your word today, Father, to absorb, uh, Father, what is being preached. Father, I pray that you would be with me, Father, to present your word correctly. Lord, that uh, those that are hearing, Father, would be encouraged and exhorted by it. Lord, that we would be both hearers and doers of your word. Father, I pray that you will be with us during this time. And Father, we thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right. If you will turn with me to 1 Thessalonians 3. And if you will recall, 1 Thessalonians is um, near, is the end of the church epistles. For the reason of what? Can anybody remember? The length, right? It's it's the shortest of the church epistles, and they're organized in the order of length. So it starts off with Romans, which is the longest, and goes to First and Second Thessalonians, which are the shortest. So we have been going through um, our study of the epistles, um, landing in First Thessalonians. And we know a few things about the church at Thessalonica. First of all, Thessalonica is the capital of Macedonia. So he's gone. Paul has gone along with his brothers, Silas and Timothy, to this place that is the capital city of a kingdom. And along the road to Macedonia um, and to Thessalonica, he's gone through Philippi, where another church was planted. And now we know that Paul, in the narrative, is in the city of Corinth as he writes this letter to the Thessalonians. In, in the process of him coming to Corinth, he has gone through Athens. And we talked last week about when Paul was in Athens, he gave his famous sermon when he is on Mars Hill and speaks um, and reasons with the Greeks there. And when he is going into Athens, he proceeds by himself into Athens and sends Silas and Timothy back to Macedonia to check on the Thessalonians and the Philippians. So, 
writing this letter, Paul has received word back from his son in the faith, Timothy, about the Thessalonian church and how it is faring. So that brings us to today's passage. 1 Thessalonians 3, 6 through 10. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us good news of your faith and love and that you always think kindly of us, longing to see us just as we also long to see you. For this reason, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and affliction, we were comforted about you through your faith. For now we really live if you stand firm in the Lord. For what thanks can we give God for you in return for all the joy with which we rejoice because of you before our God? As we keep praying most earnestly night and day that we may see your faces and may complete what is lacking in your faith. We've talked before about Paul's concern for the churches. And it's not just this passing, you know, passive kind of, well, you know, I'll just throw up a little prayer, right? <laughs> Paul's very life's blood is about sharing the gospel to those that do not know it. And so he wants to ensure that the Thessalonian church isn't one that has just heard the word superficially and has been like our parable that we have talked about for a couple of weeks of the seed and the sower, where that seed is taken away. He wants to ensure that the Thessalonian church is alive and thriving because the importance of the gospel to the region and its spread into Macedonia is at stake. So Paul sits here in Corinth. And he longs to go back and see the people in Thessalonica. So think about it like this. If you're down here in the south of Greece and you don't have an automobile. <laughs> How long is it going to take Timothy and Silas to go all the way back up to Macedonia, to Thessalonica? It's going to be about a month. It's going to be about a month until Paul sees them again. Okay. The trip up there is like 11 days. By the time they spend a little bit of time with the church at Thessalonica and then come back, it's going to be over a month before Paul sees them again. And apparently Silas and Timothy along the road back in uh, through Athens and down to Corinth have reunited because they come and join Paul in Corinth. Um, but Paul has been on his own this period of time, wondering about this church and how it is faring and how are they getting along. So when we read these words about Paul's encouragement 
it's a relief that he gets to hear this good news about the people of God. So what news does Timothy bring back from the church at Thessalonica? And then what effects does that have on Paul? How does Paul's prayer life reflect the desires of his heart? And how will Paul complete what is lacking in their faith? That's kind of a little bit of an outline of today's sermon. Okay, those are the four points that we're going to kind of go through. So what news does Timothy bring? He brings good news of their faith and their love. <clears throat> so you can almost imagine Timothy coming into fellowship with that church and being able to see, wow, like the gospel really did take root. The work that we all did in sharing our faith with the Thessalonians, God has used, and this church is now alive. And not only that, this church warmly receives Timothy and sends back news of their thoughtfulness and the news of a mutual desire to see each other. Um, so, so far away, Paul sends his number one man right here, right? We talked about how important Timothy was to Paul. Um, and Timothy isn't just a water boy. Timothy is someone who has grown up learning scripture from his grandmother and mother and um, has become a believer himself. And God has destined Timothy to be in this ministry with Paul and to later on be an overseer himself um, at Ephesus. So uh, Timothy at one point stays in Ephesus, and that's where Paul writes First Timothy, um, his personal epistle to Timothy. So we know that Timothy, the main man, has come back and given all of this wonderful news of the Thessalonians' faith and love. And this purpose, God uses to, to encourage two different groups of people. It encourages the Thessalonians that Timothy would come back to visit them. And it encourages Paul, Timothy, and Silas that even though they were chased away by the mob, that this church was planted and it is firmly in the Lord. And so the Lord is using Timothy's visit to do to accomplish those things. Encourage, encouragement might sound fuzzy to us. It might sound like, you know, warm, fuzzy type of feeling stuff. But encouragement is vital in our Christian walk. And there are at least two good companion passages that we're going to look at together here um, that talk about the activities of Paul and Timothy and Silas and those that join Paul throughout the, the missions, of which there are many. So let's look together 
If you will turn to 1 Corinthians 3, 5 through 9, I have NASB on the screen, but you're welcome to turn to it in your Bible, I'm even encouraged to turn to it in your own Bible, 1 Corinthians 3, 5 through 9. What then is Apollos and what is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one, I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but God who causes the growth. Now the one who plants and the one who waters are one but each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. Paul's main purpose is to spread the gospel to those that do not know. And his role, as he sees it, is a planter. He is the seed scatterer. Paul goes through the entire Mediterranean and makes at least three loops <laughs> around the area from Jerusalem all the way up into Macedonia, around through Greece, and does that several times. So Timothy's role here is watering the seed, right? To go up to the Thessalonians to encourage them um, to share with them Paul's, uh, Paul's words. And if you will rem remember, Timothy was uniquely uh, situated to do that. Timothy was Greek and Jewish. So just as Paul was Roman and Jewish, Timothy is Greek and Jewish. Paul was kept as he said in the previous verses of 1 Thessalonians, Paul was kept from being able to go into Thessalonica again because Satan hindered him. But Timothy was allowed to pass. Timothy's not seen as a foreigner. Timothy is seen as a Greek. So he's able to pass through these places where Paul at the moment, is not allowed to. And so Timothy has come to foster the growth of the Thessalonian church. And Paul's intense desire to see them will come to fruition later on. If you read through Acts, Paul does get to go see the church at Thessalonica again. The other companion verse that I wanted to read today is in Romans 15. So if you will turn with me over to Romans 15. And in Romans 15, verses 4 through 6, for whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction, so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we may have hope. Now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind with one another 
according to Christ Jesus, so that one, so that with one purpose and one voice, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So where, where does the encouragement come from via scripture? It comes from God's word. It comes from the scriptures. Whatever was written from earlier times, Paul says, was written for our instruction. And the encouragement of the scriptures gives us hope. So Paul and Timothy, who have learned scripture since they were young, are ideal instructors as they go and plant churches. And what's the purpose of learning scripture? What's the purpose of this encouragement in verse six? It is so that ultimately the glory of God is achieved. So that with one purpose and one voice, unity, in unity, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So for God's glory is what this whole mission of Paul's is about. That the gospel would be shared. That the gospel would be fostered. The gospel would take root in those places that Paul visits and plants. And there is a planter here, and there is a waterer, um, and scripture is this means. We talked about how do people, how do people become saved? Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So the word of God is not only where we hear about the gospel and salvation and receive faith. But it's also the means by which we draw encouragement and growth in our faith. God uses, if you look at it this way, and if I could say a purpose of today's whole sermon. God uses his people. His word to encourage and strengthen us for use in his kingdom for his glory. Notice that his is mentioned four times there, right? His, his, and his. It's all his. So God uses his people. We are his people. And he uses his word to encourage and strengthen us for use in his kingdom for the purpose of his glory. So we've gotten this great news from Timothy. We see and we're encouraged by this. And in verse seven, Paul says, for this reason, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and affliction, we were comforted about you through your faith. We talked about their distress and affliction, which was plentiful. They had pressure from all sides. 
Paul received pressure because of the Roman government. This Jesus that you're talking about is the king of a kingdom. And you have, you're not supposed to have any other authority over you than Caesar. So number one, the government, the Roman government, has this downward pressure on the ministry of Paul. And the other factors that he runs into, we looked at how many times it is such a strong pattern. He goes into a city, he preaches at the synagogue, and ultimately there is a Jewish mob that rises up against him and pushes him out of the city. There are Jewish believers who become part of the church of God. But then there are those that want nothing to do with Paul. And so there are pressures from all sides. The Jewish unbelievers do not like him. The Gentile unbelievers do not like him. And the government does not like him. So there's all of these pressures, distress, and affliction that Paul has to face as he is going through his mission. So what effect does Timothy's news have on Paul, and how does he really live? How is, how is his joy made complete? We talked about that complete joy in James, that we would want nothing if we have complete joy, how is Paul's uh, joy made complete? It's because they are standing firm. I just wanted to look over some verses here about standing firm. So if you turn with me to 1 Corinthians 16, 13 through 14. This is how he's ending his first letter to the Corinthians. And the older I get, the longer my arms need to be, right? <laughs> be on the alert. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. All that you do must be done in love. So an encouragement to all the men in this room, young or old, act like men. Paul says to the Corinthian church, stand firm in the faith. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men, be strong, and be alert. So in, in accompanying standing firm, there is this soberness. There is this being alert um, and being on guard. Okay, now flip with me to Galatians 5.1 and how Paul starts out this epistle to the Galatians. Um, when you look at 5, chapter 5.1, it was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. There is a slavery of sin. 
We were bound to sin. And Paul tells the Galatians, stand firm so that you do not return to that slavery. Stand firm in your faith. And again, in Philippians, Philippians 1, 27. Is anybody singing the song for the Bible books right now? Philippians 1, 27. Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear about you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. <laughs> so conduct, your conduct should be worthy of the gospel, he says, and that is how you will stand firm in the first chapter of Philippians. Lastly, Philippians 4.1, if you just turn a couple pages, Philippians 4.1. Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, whom I long to see, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, my beloved Stand firm, because if you read chapter three in the last part of chapter three, it's because the Lord is sovereign and your citizenship is in heaven and you reflect that Lord and King whom you serve. So for all of these reasons, Paul tells multiple churches in multiple cities and regions to stand firm in the faith, ultimately so that you will not fall into temptation. And really what's at stake is the glory of God. Throughout all of what we've read in the Old Testament, we've seen how, in, especially in this, this study in Second Kings that we've been doing in Sunday school, We've seen how the temple and Jerusalem are a symbol of God's holiness um, and really stand for Israel being God's people. And now uh, that Christ has come, our lives, our love for each other, our conduct all glorify God and denote ownership of whose we are. So their conduct and their steadfastness are an indication of who they belong to. I know, Danny, you've talked about before about the people that carry your last name <laughs> are a reflection of you and a reflection of Nicole and a reflection of your family. Same thing for my girls, same thing for Krista and Stephen's kids, all of us. You reflect your father. You reflect your parents. And from a spiritual standpoint, you're reflecting your father. So what do people see when they see you? Does, do they see conduct that is consistent with someone who follows the gospel 
Do they see someone that might have some questionable <laughs> things going on in, in, in his life or her life? If that's the case, I, I would I would pray that God does convict us today that we should be reflecting who he is by what we do and what we believe. In Romans 15, 14, you see Paul's purpose and you see how strongly he is uh, concerned about these churches. And if you'll remember, Romans is one of the last epistles. Um, and Paul is kind of summarizing, if you will, what he's been through the past few years. So in Romans 15, starting with verse 14 and going through verse 21. And concerning you, my brothers and sisters, I myself also am convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able also to admonish one another. But I have written very boldly to you on some point so as to remind you again, because of the grace that was given to me from God, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, ministering as a priest of the gospel of God, so that my by my offering of the Gentiles may become acceptable. <laughs> sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, in Christ Jesus, I have found reason for boasting in things pertaining to God, for I will not presume to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, resulting in the obedience of the Gentiles by the word and deed, in the power of signs and wonders, in the power of the Spirit, so that from Jerusalem and all around, as far as Elycrium, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. And in this way, I aspired <clears throat> to preach the gospel, not where Christ was already known by name, so that I would not build on another person's foundation, but just as it is written, they who have not been told about him will see, and they who have not heard will understand. So we've seen Paul's life, like his whole purpose of his life has been to be this apostle to the Gentiles, to spread the word to those that do not know him in an environment where he, Paul, believes and acts as though Jesus' return is imminent any day now. He hasn't lost the sense that Christ is returning. So we, I have to tell everyone about them. This whole region that would actually even be challenging to travel now with all of our modern uh, modern methods he he made this loop of the mediterranean that lots of i guess cruise ships would envy <laughs> right goes around several different countries goes on the roman road 
all for the sake of the gospel. And so all his life's energy is placed on no matter what, it doesn't matter if they come out at one point, Paul is stoned, left for dead. God heals him and he gets back up and goes back to work. He goes to Philippi, he gets run out by a mob. He goes to Thessalonica, he gets run out by a mob. He goes to Athens. He's basically scoffed and laughed at because of this silly Jesus that he talks about. And he goes to Corinth. And although he gets to stay there for 18 months, he's kicked out of there as well. So every place that Paul goes, no matter what happens to him, snake bit, shipwreck, set on, I mean, it doesn't matter. Paul, Paul seems like he's indestructible. As we are, we are indestructible until God's purpose for us is fulfilled. And so it doesn't matter what prison they put him in. God, God is able to deliver Paul. But if not, he gets to go see God. He's not concerned for his own life. Paul is only concerned about being about the father's business. So in his ministry and utilization of people like Timothy, Titus, Onesimus, all of these that he calls his sons of the faith, and those that join him, Barnabas, Silas, and others that are also dear brothers to him and co-workers, he calls them workers, co-workers with God, that they come alongside what God is doing. So how does Paul's prayer life reflect the desires of his heart? Just to remind us in verse 10, as we keep praying most earnestly night and day that we may see your faces and may complete what is lacking in your faith. Paul isn't setting aside 10 seconds to talk to pray this one item on his prayer list. Look at how often he says that they pray. We pray most earnestly night and day that we may see your faces and may complete what is lacking in your faith. What a man of God to care about his brothers and sisters that much that he would pray so earnestly and would pray so often. God does grant him a visit or two with the church at Thessalonica on his third missionary journey. Paul's prayer life reflects the desires of his heart, just like our prayer life does. So think about it. Just meditate on this for a moment. What do your prayers reflect about where your heart is? Sometimes I think our prayers are Lord, make my life easy. Guilty is charged. Me too. But what does Paul's prayer life reflect? He wants to see the gospel spread. He wants to see God's kingdom come into fruition. That's what he's centered about. So he's centered about them growing in faith, them becoming 
those reflections of their father that they're called to be. And he has this intense prayer for that day and night. He doesn't want to let that slip. We learned in James that the fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much, right? Only borrowed righteousness that we have, but righteousness nonetheless <clears throat> avails much. Paul's prayer for, for the Thessalonians is that um, they would hold steadfast, that they would be encouraged, and they would reflect who God is. And just very briefly, to wrap us up here, how will Paul complete what is lacking in their faith? We saw that at the first of this sermon, right? Where does our encouragement come from? Where does our faith get built up? Right here, okay? By the word of God. We don't need to wait for any sort of special revelation from God. We've got 66 books to read and study of what God said right here. And it will take us the rest of our lives to study it. And we still won't know it fully or completely until we lay eyes on the author and finisher of our faith. So we've got plenty of work to do, y'all. We have this to study. We have people to talk to. We have people to encourage. We have, have people to exhort. In some cases, discipline and convict. Um, and, and all of this is for God's glory. And Paul did, Paul did get to go and see them at least two more times. On his third missionary journey, he comes through, he, lead, he leaves Timothy at Ephesus, he goes to Thessalonica a second time, he goes down to, and I guess I could show you the map as I'm talking, I'm trying to make the map with my hands here. Um, so his third missionary journey, he goes down to Corinth again, and then he goes back up. So he comes back the way he came on the third missionary journey. Um, and he gets to see the church at Thessalonica two more times. So God does allow him and permits him to go and foster this church that he and his brothers um, have spread the gospel to. So in summary today, number one, standing firm is not just a good tagline for a men's ministry or something. Standing firm is a reflection of who our father is. And I wanted to reiterate this concise point that God uses his people and his word to encourage and strengthen us so that we might stand firm for use in his kingdom and for his glory. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for, Father, being able to 
have your word in its completion in our hands. God, that we may be able to study and know you and know your heart. Father, I pray that we would not only know the word ourselves, but Father, that we would use it to encourage other believers that, Father, your gospel would go forward. That people would hear, that others of us would water that seed. And Father, that it would all be done for the glory of God. And we thank you for these things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Yeah.